right now there's this democratic well of 51% vote for it, the 49% are going to have to pay for it. But this could actually revolutionize to where if you don't vote for something, you don't pay for it. it you you right. don't receive, you could make it to where certain pro projects and protocols, you vote for it, you pay for it and allow people to right. choose what benefits they receive and allow people to choose what, what they want to pay for and what they want to support. That would be a check and balance. That'd be a huge change. Welcome to Specific Knowledge. I'm your host, Devin Marty. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring how people coordinate and build in a dynamic world where knowledge is distributed and ephemeral. With a focus on creative destruction and the role of blockchain as a decentralizing technology, we discuss new ways to reimagine and reshape the current social order. I'm joined by my friends Lucas and Ryan, who are experts in their field. Today's topic is how blockchain will change your life. Without further ado, episode eight of Specific Knowledge. All right, guys, welcome. Episode eight, how blockchain will change your life. Ryan, Lucas, how are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing good. How about you, bud? I'm doing really well. And Lucas? Bless, brother. It's always, it's always a good day to hang out with you guys. Yeah, let's do it. Let's um, actually, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're, we get into academics a lot kind of right off the bat. I know, uh, let's maybe, uh, you know, take a step back, talk about who we are a little bit, what's going on in our daily lives. I know I'm traveling right now. I'm actually uh, headed to California to meet with some investors uh, for uh, Wise Token. And um, actually, I'm going to see Peter in real life uh, for the first time. For those who don't know, Peter is the founder uh, and CEO of Wise Token and my boss. Uh, so it'll be cool. We're going to a restaurant uh, of a family friend uh, called Pearl. Shout out Dean, Chef Dean. And um, yeah, it should be good. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and also in other news, I recently uh, sold an NFT that's allowed me to fund a project I've been working on, uh, which is a, a photography book with the Leica Academy and uh, Brilliant Graphics and uh, just over the moon. Super happy uh, that, that that came to fruition um, as, you know, it's, it's books coming out in December and it's, uh, you know, fine art, photography, monograph. And uh, those are not, not the cheapest books to print straight up. So um, definitely happy to have that funding um, where I can make this happen. Yeah. That's how about awesome. you guys? Congrats, man. Oh, thank you so much. Well, uh, I, I guess I'll go first. I, uh, I've been working on just trying to make as many eBay sales as possible. Uh, and I've been reading, I just got done reading and uh, just finished a book by Nietzsche as thus spoke Zarathustra. That was fun. And I've been cramming as many movies as I can into my, my daily, uh, intake because well, I, you know, I have a three-year-old and she's, she's kind of takes up most of our time. So, and we've been loving watching her grow up and taking her to do various, uh, birthday parties. We went to three birthday parties in the, in the last I don't know, a week. And so it's been a lot of kids and, and movies. And then I've been trying to read and just jump into the blockchain stuff as much as possible. Cause I was kind of distracted for a while. Uh, recently looked at avalanche, made some, made a purchase there. Cause I liked what was going on. And, and I've been consolidating a lot of holdings, trying to get into just move a little small things into Bitcoin and ETH, kind of looking at the blue, the blue chip plays. So I've been moving my crypto holdings and that's, that's been main focus the last day or so. Hey, Ryan, I just um, talked to the, one of the business development guys or strategic development guys at Avalanche 
that's a cool project. I, uh, I'm a big fan of that. And I, like you did the same recently about two days Very ago, cool. uh, move some in. Yeah. Their consensus mechanism is just far different from what others are doing. So yeah, let's talk about that later. Uh, privately. Okay. I, yes, sir. Let's do that. Lucas, I'll jump up with you. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, ju- <laughs> I'll jump in here. Um, and, and I actually, uh, am a huge fan of avalanche have been for a long time as well. And, and I'd love to, to share more of what the developments are going on on their ecosystem. Cause it's absolutely uh, exciting and the early stages of, of DeFi and blockchain on their end. Um, but you know, a lot for me, I I've been, uh, caretaking for a family member for almost two years now. It's coming to the end of the road. He's, he's recovered a lot after a, a stroke um, during that time, a lot of my sustainable gardening, permaculture work slowed down, and uh, it's been more inner focus, uh, inside work, and it's allowed me to develop a lot in crypto, you know, spend some time behind the computer. One of the other projects that I, I've been doing for many years through, through my ministry is making organic vegan soap. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast before, but I, there's a, a, a website for it. Holy Market, W-H-O-L-L-Y-M-A-R-K-E-T.org, where you can, uh, the soap and a bath salt mixture that Ryan's wife actually helps put together. It's a, an amazing, amazing product. Um, but the soap, it's all, all natural products. It's, it's olive oil, coconut oil base, and plant oils for, for smell, no uh, chemicals, no preservatives, no perfumes. And this is no advertisement. The purpose of this story is actually, uh, it's very small when I have time to hit up a a farmer's market, especially post COVID, they're very uh, slow, uh, as you can imagine. I've had an issue with one of the largest payment processing companies in the world. Um, The name is Square Incorporated, Square, it's a a little, their logo is uh, like a square inside of a square. Um, I think many people might be familiar with it. They're very popular. It allows people from their phones or tablets to accept credit card payments. Um, so for small businesses and for merchants, you know, we, you talk about helping the, the, helping the everyday person in the economy, especially when times are difficult, it, it, it's PayPal and, and places like this, organizations like this, that really help people open up, um, to the market. Well, um, to make this long story shorter, they've had my money has been stuck in the Square app for over a week, a week and a half now. And when I say stuck, I mean in transfer to my bank account. And I've been a member for over, over a year with no problems with transfers. And the moment this happens, there's absolutely no customer service. There's no way to contact them via phone. There's no way chat. And the emails uh, are not an email address they give you. It's an email portal from their website that you have to use. So there's no receipt or record of any correspondence sent. And I've, I've been messaging about almost an email a day. So I've gone on six, seven, eight, nine emails at this point through their portal. And they say they respond within 24 hours. Usually, well, I, I have not received one, not one response. And so what I what, what boggles my mind about this, first of all, it's crippling my soap is I can't, that is important to buy more labels, more capital. So I'm in this kind of state of purgatory where I'm hoping that, that uh, it's a glitch and someone responds every single day. Um, but um, on, on top of that, 
here we are every day, we're talking about a whole new technology that fixes a lot of these problems. It's transparent, blockchain technology. You would never have a problem with an intermediary locking up your funds. And, um, and, and so I hear, we hear about Gensler or Yellen and, and they're all screaming uh, about regulation or we hear stories about different people in the political field talking about regulation. Now, regulating a technology that most would it probably don't really understand or understand little compared to those who have been building it out. Cause it's just, it's a brand new way of communication. It's, it is new technology. There's um, uh, but you look at the United States is one of the most modern economies. It's one of the most, it's the leading financial sector in the world in many ways. And here is square. One of the largest payment processing uh, intermediaries, uh, in the world and there's they're a ghost there's no one to get a hold of. and they and and people's people's money people's funds can be virtually frozen and there's no recourse there's no one to talk to the at this point the i either hope that they give it back or i have to have the resources to go hire an attorney and then go sue the company and and hope you know i mean it's it's such and this is par for the course. I mean, this is actually the way the system works. I mean, is as devastating as this this is to to me and this small soap work that I do. Um, there are other people who, who have suffered um, at the way the traditional financial markets work all the time in similar capacity. So I just think it, it's funny that um, with all the regulation of a system that they create and you still have, have this going on. And that's been my personal I know that was a lot, but it's been frustrating. <laughs> well, Lucas, uh, you know, ironic thing is, I know Square is heavily invested in Bitcoin. Uh, so, you know, you know, what's going on there? Second, I think it'd be a fun exercise. Uh, let's talk through all the, all the different steps, you know, from supply chain to payment systems to everything. How would blockchain fix all the problems you're having right now? Well, um, for one, Square is a is a is a is an intermediary. They they hold people's funds for point of sale transactions. So in reality, blockchain technology, when we look at banks in general or the, or the function of many other intermediaries, it uh, op it it well, I wouldn't have to rely on a Square to hold my funds. So so yeah. having having access have, or having to ask someone permission for a transaction that the whole purpose of Bitcoin, if we remember, was that people could send a value from one to another without any intermediaries and without it, it being that chain being corrupted or perverted. And, and here we are, and the chain has been corrupted and perverted by an intermediary. And it's based upon what their records and their books. And, and so I would say the least of which just from the Bitcoin uh, digital money side, I wouldn't have to uh, have my keys, my wallet. I wouldn't have to worry about someone else um, having to get a hold of someone in order to exactly. receive the funds. That that that's just yeah. But I would yeah. say that to make it short is that blockchain enables exchanges where you never have to trust third parties to have custody over anything. It can go from from user to user directly, without having to go into a bank account that's controlled by a corporation. Yeah, it's huge. Well, hey, Lucas, um, you know, I hope you get this figured out. And, uh, you know, we're here to help too. I know Ryan's already lent some help. So, um, 
but this is also a perfect segue into what I think we want to talk about today, which is how does blockchain change your life and how will it change your life? So we've got some things, no, no hard set list, but some general ideas that I think uh, we could go over that would affect pretty much everyone's daily life from you know, sports to education, to payments, to banking, to transportation, to energy consumption. So yeah, I think we'll hit on a few of those and uh, just kind of riff, uh, you know, how's this going to change people's lives? Well, you know, one of the ones I like to think about first is identification because it's so Huge. important yep. to so many other elements of how we live, you know, from travel and, and you know, buying and selling and just um, getting in, you know, whether or not you're, you're can rent a hotel or rent a car or, you know, it, your, your ideas come up, comes up a lot, right? So this idea of separating ID from, from state-based entities and having a, 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 blockchain a solution is that's something that's been thought about for a long time but recently the, the nft technology has shown the, a technical pathway to where it could become a reality and so we you know if you're not familiar with what nfts are those are non-fungible tokens that can interact with real it could can interact with real world assets so the idea being is that the, uh, the, the quintessential example is a piece of art right you could have a photo of, of, of an art piece and then encode in that an ownership that says whoever controls this token has ownership over this piece of art or, you know, or, or royalty it could be done with royalties. But the, the key is that it's about non-fungibility. And that word is kind of scary, but it just basically means that it's unique. So something that's fungible is not unique. It's, it, it's, you put it into a pot it's the same as all the others, right? So, like a, uh, it's like a bushel of, of wheat, right? Of one bushel of wheat, another bushel of wheat are, are fungible or a dollar, dollar bill, another dollar bill. Whereas non-fungible would be there's, okay, there's something unique about this one that makes it different from another. And so this, this non-fungible token has the potential to be the foundation for a new, a new way of identifying each other. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's ownership of now, you know, physical things, but also virtual things. And also things that are, like you said, kind of in that interim, that um, this mystic space, you know, what is identification? Um, and it, it allows you to prove, uh, first of all, own your identity and then prove it uh, in, in a trustless way that everyone's like, yes, uh, they own those things. That ID owns those things. And that ID belongs to this person. So yeah, you're right. It, it's awesome tech. And from I heard, that, I okay, yeah, go ahead. Look. I was to say, I heard you touch on uh, something about art that I want to continue, but but from that, go ahead. But keep keep on with your. Oh, I was just going to say this feeds right into the next subject that deals with NFTs, which would be the exchange of property, with deeds and titles to assets. It's gonna be big, yeah, it's going right. to be very big. I'll jump. I'll jump in before that and let you carry on with that. I because I, I was going to mention uh, I'm really a big fan of how blockchain has changed the world for a lot of people. My mother. Uh, I grew up, you know, she, she was, a, is a singer and, and has a few albums, even on, on iTunes, Maria, Maria Williams band, um, Maria Williams, hybrid singer. And uh, shucks, I forgot um, the, I know she's on Spotify as well, but um, an artist, do you see what, what artists go through and, and their work, you know, the artist formerly known as Prince changed his name because of the issues he had with contracts over the royalties 
in, in his art and his music. So I'm really excited about, you know, people are seeing crypto punks and NFTs as digital art, but it's more than just that. Um, yeah, it's really cool to see artists being able to embed it in a smart contract, be able to receive a percentage of, of every sale that's ever made on that piece of artwork. That's something that historically has never, ever been able to do. There's never been a technology where once Picasso or Van Gogh sells a piece of artwork, every time it's sold after that, money goes directly into their bank account. And, and historically, um, the artist starves in a sense that their their artwork makes money multiple times way long after it's left their hands. Rarely are they able to sell it for a large amount. And even if they can, it's always sold for a lot more um, um, afterwards. So for, there's times for, where people don't become famous until they die, right? Artists, yeah. all, that's a, a it, thing. But either way, uh, they they would have some ability to keep exactly. some of the value of what they've earned through that to their family and, and through their... Now, singers as well. So we look at the blockchain NFTs there for digital art. I know I've mentioned apocalypseartclub.com and, and, and Jeff, uh, he has beautiful spiritual NFTs, digital art that are working to build out uh, an ecosystem where every time it's sold, um, a portion goes to a charity of choice and, and interesting things like that. But in music, there's already things like audio chain. Uh, Audius has been talked about a lot lately. And I, I know there's something else that's to be coming out also audio chain, but those are two music NFT plays that bring users directly to the musician, like a Facebook or social media platform where you can uh, tip or, or share, uh, you know, share value to the uh, musicians. Those of you appreciate directly and the music that they create uh, being moved, uh, sold on and, and passed on as a way for them to be able to built into the code to benefit. And that's all done through smart contracts, through blockchain and in the same manner um, of how the NFTs work. So I'm excited about that everyday example. Everyone loves music. I mean, not everyone. I mean, I, <laughs> I would say everyone, you know, so yeah. someone's like, I don't like music. Well, all right, maybe not. But uh, most, I would say, I love music. A lot of people love music. And for music lovers out there and for people who love to support the artists that they enjoy, this, this helps, um, this creates a new dynamic that has never before existed. And I think that's one of the exciting things about blockchain that we forget about. And I know specific knowledge you've thought about this and Ryan, we talk about this all the time, but you know, in, in, a, in a market economy that's free, you can never plan for the best way to do things because we don't know there's, there are, uh, there are, there are dynamics out there that have never before existed. Like we can't, how can we regulate? So this never, this is a new dynamic that has never before existed. And, and it's like the black swan that you can't plan for. There are things outside of the model. And so it's, it's nice to be able to have a way of living where we accept that part of nature and that part of ourselves and that part of knowledge. And instead of fighting it and, and we allow that to, to flourish and we make use of it because that's really what we're, we're talking about here when we talk about freedom in, in that regard. Well, I think it's, it kind of highlights this, this struggle that's in, inherent in technological progress and that there's long-term, the benefits are just amazing, right? Like if you look, if you stretch, if you look at the, at the horizon, at changes that were, that came from whether the automobile or the internet 
or the printing press or whatever these uh, the loom would be a classic one these are changes that are just amazing and then the and the effects they have are awesome and then for the good all for the best for the most part yet when you look when you zero in on it there's always some group that's in the short term you know going to be displaced and so those groups tend to have they they tend to have a natural incentive to resist these to resist these ideas these technologies and they want to limit them and kind of uh, put them in the bo- in a box so, so to speak so that they're they're not able to transform the world overnight or in the next short in the very short near term and oftentimes they're successful like right? you know, people think of the luddites and that's the classic example of the smashing the loom but then there's always even with the internet there's 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 been uh, industries that that are clearly not going to sur- that didn't survive the internet revolution right and and the automobile the horse and buggy that's so it's a perennial thing and so i always feel like there's going to be resisting there's always going to be resistance but blockchain is unique because it doesn't just seem to have application in one narrow sphere whether the loom did with with the with spinning uh, wool or you know with the fabrics and textiles or uh, printing you know it might be more like the internet and the computers and that it's just it's going to have a a complete uh, change that's going to wash over every sector of, and every sphere of life and so for that reason i feel like there's just more enemy you got many more enemies of it right there's the, there's the banking class that's that's upset there's going to be and there's going to be more right record, there, record there, labels if we're talking about artists record labels or yeah. another one right so i think it's good to it's good to see all the changes but it's also good to kind of imagine like where the potential pushback could become from and to start creating the the kind of arguments against those to anticipate those those counter arguments against the technology because i think it, the pushback is well underway oh for sure yeah um but but it's just going back to the artist just in that one uh group not even just the royalties on their music but also the ability to sell merch uh you know instantly peer-to-peer uh tickets that's a huge one with nfts tickets to concerts can be made these virtual identifiers that you know you can go in you can and I know companies doing this shout out to you know praise token who is they're building a you know Pokemon go style you know where the the artist or you know probably the artist manager or whatever can drop tokens all over in virtual space and you can go around with your phone during the concert or beforehand or after and and collect these and, and they represent real life things maybe a t-shirt maybe tickets to another show. And then what you can do is you can put these on the secondary market, like, you know, scalpers are to do. Well, now there's no need for scalpers because I can just peer to peer, you know, say, Hey, this is uh, this is what I'm selling my ticket for or whatever. Does anyone want it? Maybe you create some more hype because you have more people want it and the ticket prices skyrocket. And there, there's like a lot between community, between, you know, application of, you know, I, I don't want to call it supply chain, but getting people to certain places and uh, just the artists themselves being able to be more empowered uh, and and able to control, Hey, Apple, you're playing my song on your service. That means I get 50% royalty. Well, Apple probably doesn't love that, but the song's popular. They're going to put it on their service and and have to pay that up. Yeah. And I think closely related to that is how it could change shopping in general. Yeah. Let's talk about about the tickets uh, being airdropped. You know, I think other kinds of other forms of airdrop, and, and of course, payments, the way that's changing the way people pay, point of sale payments and, and as they shop. But the one that I'm thinking about that, it could, that blockchain could really change is the authentication of, of goods because there's a, such a black yeah. market 
for knockoff things, right? Like bags and watches and, and shoes is another one. And so to be able to authenticate what you're purchasing, you know, at, through your phone or through the block, through some kind of an app. Yeah. That is, Super that would powerful. be revolutionary. Yep. I, I think it's like, you know, if we're talking about watches, 90% of all um, Rolexes are fake or something like that. It's like just mm. a ridiculous number that that can be dangerous. You know, if you're buying it online, which a lot of is, you know, post COVID world, we have a lot of e-commerce, you know, online yeah. and you don't know what you're getting. Um, that's a lot of money to spend online and realize that, Hey, this is just a really good fake and right. not even know that until your friend points it out. And so, then aside from that too, there's also another ethical dimension you can, that you can look at with, with this in terms of the supply chain and slavery, right? There's oh, yeah. being able to track your goods in the intermediate stages and to see what, whether or not this is an ethical, uh, production process or not is that would be yeah. another one, you know, that, that this is going to have an effect on going to be huge for the uh the fishing industry if you know mm -hmm. anything about and chocolate yeah. yeah and chocolate yeah well, hershey making the comment mm -hmm. i think you brought that up a few podcast episodes ago hershey's saying that they don't they can't prove whether or not their cocoa comes from you know a slave mm -hmm. you know farm or, or whatever it's like well what and first of all or second of all now you can uh yeah. prove that and we can all see it <laughs> so right. Yes. All this talk of innovation uh, reminds me of something a, a friend of mine just shared with me today. Now, I don't follow a lot of politics um, myself. This is not to, uh, um, you know, support anything. I let everyone make make up their own mind. But I got to say, have you all heard of, have you heard of Ted Cruz uh, from? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, of course. The Senator. Okay. Well, he has said the most, uh, I don't know the most beautifully articulate, uh, rational uh, thing about politics and crypto that I've heard come out of a politician's mouth. Now, I don't know if it's, you know, political move or what it is, I, but I, it doesn't really matter at this point. I mean, it sure is refreshing. It's, it's, it goes right to what we talk about on a regular basis. And I think we've actually mentioned this before. Is it rational to have people who have spent their life and livelihood in politics and don't understand a brand new technology to pass uh, bills and regulations, reg uh, uh, you know, telling people what they can and cannot do, you know, limiting, regulating an industry they don't understand. And, and he says, this is, this is a quote, let's recognize if we gathered all 100 senators in this chamber and ask them to stand up and articulate two sentences defining what in the hell a cryptocurrency is that you would not get greater than five who could answer that question. Given that reality, the barest exercise of prudence would say we shouldn't regulate something we don't yet understand. We should actually take the time to try to understand that. We should hold some hearings. We should consider the consequences. We shouldn't destroy people's lives and livelihoods from complete ignorance. I, I think that is a, that's a position that I, I would support. And I think that's, that's the most beautiful, um, healthy and harmonious uh, sentiment that I've heard come out of a man's mouth, man or woman, when it comes in regard to how we should all treat a new technology that's coming up that can benefit the lives of many. And, and 
not only should the senators be able to articulate more than five sentences, but, you know, the president, uh, presidential election in the United States, they didn't mention cryptocurrency blockchain or the differences of staple coins one time. So, you know, the, the whole population has been kept in the dark. It, it would be better, I feel, for politicians, like I feel what he's urging, to promote a conversation around an education around long before regulation. In fact, mm -hmm. there should be like a, a five-year or 10-year uh, uh, crypto plan where for the next five years, we're going to push for cryptocurrency blockchain, educa blockchain education so that at that point in time, we can decide what regulations we make, like a, like a, a time period. So um, not, you, know, you want the population, you talk about later um, a democracy and how blockchain affects things. We, we definitely always prefer a population to have some awareness of what it is that they're making decisions on. That's, that's definitely something we want to promote. Well, yeah, L Lucas, I really want to um, speak about this. Maybe we end on this note because uh, I think we have a lot more to say, but um, you know, with, with the whole politics, voting, everything, but um, let's go into kind of what you dipped into, which is the education of this. How does blockchain change education? Uh, not just about blockchain, but just education in general. What do you guys think? Well, you, you know, we were talking briefly about it earlier and you mentioned a, a project that, uh, that I, what was the name of it? I'm, I'm sorry. Did DIDS? Oh, decentralized ID. Yeah. Cardano is yeah. doing a lot with that in Ethiopia specifically right now. Okay. Yeah. And, and then you were talking about how you could, uh, take, you could take classes and get certifications, which would follow you. And, and then employers would be able to like search for people who have those credit credentials. Yeah. Right? That's so something, um, um, biology is doing. He used to work, uh, I forget his position at Coinbase, but he's done some really cool stuff. Um, and he was on the Tim Ferriss podcast a little bit ago talking about this, about how, you know, it's, you can either go to school and get your degree and, you know, sure. What does that really mean? Honestly, um, uh, I've met people who work a year in real, in uh, industry and, uh, you know, know far more than, you know, a person with a four-year degree or even maybe a PhD, right? Um not not always the case, but but that right. You, you don't know what the the classes. There's no consistency of professors or or uh, curriculum from different schools. So what if you could absolutely know what a person has done? Uh, if we're talking, uh, you know, coding, you you know that they've done this line of code here, this line, and they've gotten rewards for it along the way. So they're micro tasks with micro payments and micro badges. So. I do my line of code for this company. They give me, you know, a dollar. I do my other line of code over here. I get a dollar. After I do so many of those, I get a badge that says, hey, you've done what you're supposed to. You're qualified in JavaScript. Moving on to Python, moving on to C++, you know, all the way up to Haskell or, or Solidity or, or whatever crazy coding language you're in. And you, you do that the whole way up. You get the same amount of credit hours that you would at a university. And now I can, as an employer, type in exactly the skills I'm looking for and have those people with their certifications and the, you know, the non-fungible certification that they've done this and that this is tied to their identity. Well, well now I, boom, that made the hiring process remarkably easy. No more headhunters, no more time wasted uh, on searching LinkedIn. Yeah. It's, it's, and I know yeah, that would, revo that would revolutionize yeah. a lot of things on in terms of education and employment, right? 
Yeah. And, and it makes it because why, why do you get educated? Honestly, for, for most of us, it's, it's, it's to get a job. I think for some of us, it's for, you know, personal enjoyment and, and uh, much more beyond that. Uh, but the, yeah, the biggest part of going to university is to get a job, right? It's all about job mm-hmm. placement after you graduate. So that, that solves that in my opinion. Yeah. And, and you're, it pay, you're paid along the, the university. Way. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's the, the best part about it. Cause that's a really expensive hierarchy that I think we're all yeah. re- recognizing is, is time to evolve a little bit. And, and think about it. Those people are getting paid along the way to do this work and get the certifications. They're teaching themselves. They're maybe joining groups uh, to do it together. I, I don't know how they want to uh, you know, organize that, that that could be a, a, a solution. You know, I'm sure biology has a solution for that, but they're not paying $60,000 a year. They're getting paid, right. You know, small amounts, but better than, better than the alternative. Which is great because it incentivizes people yeah. to actually educate themselves. Cause if you look exactly. at the cost, like cost disincentivize investment, right. And if you talk about the massive cost of education, that's, that's going to disincentivize a lot of people from getting into that in the first place. They're going to think, well, I don't want to come out with that kind of debt or I don't want to pay that up every semester. I can't afford that. Whereas, so that's going to be one more person who doesn't build up their human capital. Yep. And now with this kind of environment, you're switching the incentive and even if you don't have a lot of money, there's, you can actually make money by educating yourself. So, I mean, that, I really think that's fantastic. And uh, when it comes to education, you know, it, it's not, uh, we don't live in a, in a vacuum. It's connected to other aspects of the market and blockchain would revolutionize other parts as well. You know, blockchain is a, is a currency, digital money on the blockchain is a currency that can't just be uh, stimulated and manipulated and have trillions just just printed and spent on large subsidy programs. There's no doubt that the problem with the, the bubble that's probably about to pop if it already hasn't with the U.S. education system and the, and the loans is that you have an industry that's uh, subsidized federal loans, subsidized federal loans for decades that have uh, guaranteed and just pumped money into the into the bank system which uh, has sprung up a whole bunch of universities trying to get that free money you have all these universities so you know there's absolutely like the the home bubble of 2008 there's an education bubble that's going on you're hearing in the background a lot of relief you're hearing oh this group of people had their loans forgiven and this group of people had their loans forgiven yeah well wink wink nudge nudge you know a, a lot of these loans were um, these huge costs, these huge burdens that were kind of created through all the stimulus in the first place and education that you would hear your, when I was growing up, you'd hear your parents saying, well, when I wanted to go to college, I was waiting, you know, I could wait tables and, and I could save some money and have a place and go part-time to night school or something like that and get my, well, you look at the cost of college and, and, and on any level these days, and there is no working a a small job and going to night school on the side. I mean, you are, if you're not getting grants, federal Pell grants and federal subsidies or, or uh, support, then you're, you're working (laughs) full-time and And you're taking loans and you're taking loans, right. Or you're saving. And you know what? I I think you made a good point drawing a parallel between this and and the housing bubble, because it's not just a matter of overproduction. There, there, I'm sure that that's probably a part of it, but it's more also, it's more than that. It's a matter of misallocation. So if there's, 
if there's really all this massive flood of money coming into education and you can just get a loan and get, and you know, get a degree in basket weaving or in some niche thing that no one, that there's no market for, for, and when you graduate, that's, that's a, a, a misallocation of resources, right? We're throwing all this at human energy and capital into something that's, that's, yeah, you might like to, you might like reading those books and those, and that syllabus might speak to you, but if it's, if there's no market for it, then why, why is, is it cost that much? Right. You could do that. Couldn't you download those books and that syllabus and get all that for free and just study that stuff yeah. on your own? Mm-hmm. Like, so why are we paying collectively as a society, you know, the massive amounts of money to educate people on, on, on past debt that have no real value at the end of it. Whereas, and it's the same debt if you wanted to go get a mathematics degree. Right. And it's, so it's like, there needs to be, and what we're talking about with this blockchain solution, it does kind of write those incentives because now you wouldn't uh, spend time learning how to code on a, in a, in a dead language because there'd probably be no pay for it. And then at the end of it, you'd think, well, what's, what's, how's this going to mar- help my marketability? Well, it won't. So, and there, and if there's not anybody there paying you subsidizing it with a, with a, a, a subsidized loan, then there's not going to be a mechanism to get you into that on that track. So really we're looking at a, a way to kind of get rid of that misallocation, undo some of this misallocation that we have with the with the current system. Yeah. And I do believe the biggest part also of, uh, you know, it's universal prestige. So there's, I guess there's two things here. One's reputation personally, and the other is a network uh, of a reputable network. Those are two things that you can absolutely get in the, you know, the, the ways biology is proposing. You can create these, you know, online networks of people who, first of all, we'll talk about reputation. You have more badges, you have more reputation. You, you've done more. People can see that, that this guy, whoa, they're, they're impressive. They've, mm-hmm. they've done a lot. Um, maybe they should be teaching people. Maybe they should be my mentor. Uh, so you, you get this, um, this network inherently because you can just kind of search everyone and see everyone. And also the reputation is there. The, the, you know, maybe every time you contribute to conversation, you also get a, I know on Reddit, it's like karma. Maybe you get some, you know, karma credits that are NFTs that, you know, if, if you do want to, and this is not my idea, again, this is a, an idea that Biology talked about. Um, if you want to transfer your reputation to a, another pseudo anonymous or, or a fully anonymous uh, person or, or account to be able to say something contrary in it, if it's, uh, you know, against in academics or whatever, um, that, that would otherwise tarnish your own reputation. Well, you can do that. You can be like, oh, everyone sees this guy has all this reputation, all this karma. Maybe we should listen to them. Maybe you know, this is someone who is taking the time and the, the consideration to be anonymous to say this because they understand how um, important it is to say. So you know, there, there's, there's that aspect too. And I think blockchain solves both the, the network and the, the reputation. I wouldn't solve, but it, it replaces the those two things that are offered by prestigious universities. That is why people pay more for, you know, Harvard versus a community college. Yeah. And I think the reputation thing is a good point. It seems like it moves it off from the university into the individual more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so instead of it's you, you having, you trying to just claim uh, that you've, that you're worthwhile because you have a degree from a worthwhile institution, which it may or may not carry over to you, you know, whether or not the prestige and the, and the uh, excellence that's at the institution is, is a one-to-one uh, ratio with your own skill set. That's, that's open question, I guess. And employers don't know that, but when you look at the, what this system has with badges and credits and credentials for individuals, 
it, it's not so much a reputation based on an institution as it is what you've actually done. So I feel like there's a lot more uh, transparency and it's a little bit, it's a better indicator. So it's a, it's a more reliable signal than I would, I would think. Yeah. I mean, Hey, if you're looking for a job, I think the last grade, uh, you know, teaching job that is not based on blockchain is just transitioning professors to be able to teach on blockchain. Uh, if, if, you know, if anyone out there is, is in a position where they work in a university, maybe, maybe that's something to pursue. What, uh, Ryan, what else were you thinking? Yeah, I think next we could, we could touch on health records because it's, oh, it's yeah. pretty real. It's a good, it's kind of related to the NFTs. It is tangentially for sure. Yeah. And well, one of the problems with, with health today is that the, the record management thing is so, so clumsy and, and um, you have, oftentimes you have to physically take your, your papers, you know, to the next doctor. Right. And so the NFTs and blockchain could potentially set it up to where you'd own your own records. You'd control what, what your, what you control your own files and you give permissions and access to who you would like. Right. So if you need to go to the dentist or the, or a heart doctor or a foot doctor or whatever, you can give, you could open up and have give access to those records on the blockchain without having to yeah. get permission from your old doctor or mm -hmm. making sure they coordinate or, or, you know, dealing with the clumsy nature of, of moving physical things from one place to another, it would, it would kind of uh, automate and, and this could be done through smart contracts easily. Yeah. And, and medical permission, if, if we stay on the same topic is um, this is something Charles Hoskinson talked about uh, is that maybe if he's over in Ethiopia unconscious and he's wrote, carted into the hospital the doctor there calls his doctor says, Hey, I need Charles's, you know, medical record stuff. He's unconscious and we have to operate his, his doctor in America is going to be like, who, who is this? Like, I can't give you his stuff. Like I have to have his permission. Oh, well, he's unconscious. Well, uh, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So being able to, first of all, if the doctor has the verification, you know, sort of like what we just talked about with the education, they can prove who they are. They can send that, not even have to send it, but just on blockchain, okay, that's a, that's a verified medical doctor in this country with these procedural, you know, experiences and, and whatever. Now my, you know, Charles or the, the doctor in America is, is comfortable sending, first of all, only what needs to be sent because you don't need to send everything, you know, through blockchain, you can send just certain things uh, and leave the rest, you know, blocked or just have never sent. So that's life-saving. Uh, and, and in, in a bureaucratic system where sure it's privacy and HIPAA and all that, but um, it, it solves all those problems. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of issues there with, uh, with trust and boom, all gone. Yes. And there could even be like a physical bracelet or something you wear that, sure. mm -hmm. that if you're in proximity with that, that, that it, uh, the records are sent automatically because they presume that it's, that you were with the patient directly. Right. Yeah. There, the potential for that. There's all kinds of options you could go there. Super. All you have to do, yeah, bracelet and phone, so you have dual authentication mm -hmm. or something like that. So it's not just you know, someone stole my bracelet now they have my medical. Sure. You, know, you need you my two, phone. Two factor. My... Absolutely. That's that's a great idea, guys. What are you doing after this? <laughs> Starting a medical company, I guess. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'll tell you another great um, uh, use of blockchain that I've been excited mm -hmm. about from the beginning. And maybe you guys uh, remember projects surrounding this idea, but the idea of DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, and 
the movement to decentralized communities. Yeah. Uh, de- I'm really in, and I, I think maybe it's too early, but I've, as you know, I've expressed my desire and passion for putting a, a church or a ministry on the blockchain, but uh, just beyond um, any sort of community, you know, there are many different types of jurisdictions. We're talking about new ways of people coming together based upon common understandings and, and, and similar beliefs. And, um, and so that, that's, that's beautiful because we already accept a world of multiple jurisdictions. You go from one County, one city, one state, one country, and there are people who live around even from one uh, neighborhood uh, to the next with, with different restrictions on their deeds and, and, you know, different rules they live by. So to be able to create communities brought together through the blockchain uh, based upon common understandings and, and create community around that, I, I'm excited about that as well. I think that a lot can be accomplished um, by, by bringing people together of, of like minds to, to make the world a better place. And it allows people who used to be segregated based upon location or segregated, uh, segregated based upon opportunity and blockchain is creating a, a technology that pretty much allows almost virtually anyone to, to connect in this, in this new, uh, this new worldwide this new layer to the world wide web that um, is empowering people from just their cell phone, right? It's giving the, the, the ability to take your cell phone and send messages or send value um, to someone anywhere in the world. And it's, and it's completely secure. It's completely um, safe. And I mean, look, Facebook and, and WhatsApp, and you hear about these other centralized protocols that people trust to, to send data and information and their, their information is being farmed and, and used. And this is a technology that allows people to take back control. Like you guys were talking about with their idea, take back control of your resume, take back control of your information. You choose how much of those medical records need to get released. You choose how much information uh, you desire to share. So yeah, it kind of opens up the question to what is what is potential does blockchain have to change the uh, way we live together and governments and democracy, mm-hmm. voting, all, that whole that whole thing. Yeah. Hey, let's get into it. You know, Lucas brought it up earlier. So um, voting, you know, I, obviously I think this is obvious for us, but how does it change for, you know, for the average person who's living in America, Ethiopia, you know, Brazil, wherever? Well, one thing it could do, it, it could facilitate the voting to make that much easier. You know, you could you have a, and this would be the NF, another NFT thing, right? I guess, but, or it wouldn't have to be because you, you could have a unique wallet on a, or a unique address on a blockchain. <clears throat> but um, yeah, you, you could essentially vote by, vote, vote over the internet, vote through the through a blockchain. Make, um, we could, and we could do all that through private keys and encryption to keep people's privacy. And then we could also not have to worry about identification at this point, because, you know, you're not going and you're not being, you wouldn't be able to vote twice because you're, you know, you only have, you have one option and it's, it would, it would kind of automate a lot of the problems with, you have an ID, are you in the right district, all this, but but beyond that, it would even make possible more of a direct democracy Uh, would facilitate that where you could, you could vote directly, you know, instead of having to go through intermediaries, it would make it easier to vote directly for bills. 
uh, you know, what I and was that's just uh, the beginning, obviously. Going along with that, I thought one of the um, revolutions to to voting and supporting projects right now, there's this democratic, well, if 51% vote for it, the 49% are going to have to pay for it. But this could actually revolutionize to where if you don't vote for something, you don't pay for it. You you don't receive, you could make it to where certain projects and protocols, you vote for it, you pay for it and allow people to choose what benefits they receive and allow people to choose what they want to pay for and what they want to support. That would be a check and balance. That'd be a huge change. A huge check and balance on those well, in those political sectors that are used to receiving huge windfalls of just saying, okay, I'm going to make these decisions for you regardless. Um, and you know, to that, I, I was thinking, as soon as you brought this up, I was thinking, well, what, what I think constituents people in, in that system should be thinking is more, we see how, how this new technology relieves, uh, certain industries it, creative destruction. It makes them no longer necessary. And when, when as a people, when do we actually say, okay, you know what, maybe this, maybe this current model it doesn't really work anymore. You know, I mean, it was great for when we had it, but for the technology that we have right now, it it doesn't make sense to try to create, to force everyone into this hierarchical, slow representatory. When a system that was built that people used to, most people didn't know how to read and write. And then those that did would send one of the best educated, wealthy people that had could afford to take the time off of, of working the land to go take a two week, three week long uh, road trip to Washington, DC, or to go to someplace far away to sit around and make decisions. Like, like the, the systems that we are living under were made at a time when the level of knowledge, not only for the people um, uh, that were, was different and maybe less, but uh, the technology that allowed that knowledge to be spread and to be shared was different as well. I think we're reaching a point where we're seeing that there's a split now between the old, between the institutions we've inherited and the demands of the future and the current, right? And there no longer seems to be um, there's more and more agreement that what we're doing is not going to work. We have to have some change, right? Radical, radical fundamental changes are going to be necessary to realize some of these big problems and struggles. So I agree. And I think what the, I think the main thing to think about is that institutions aren't, aren't some universal thing that should be fixed. They're, they're contextual. So what worked in the 1800s in a farming agricultural society with, with minimal literacy might not be what you want to choose for the 20, a 21st century digital age with mass literacy and a demand for mass, uh, massive equal rights, right? That's, that's, it's a different world. And so the way we organize it should, should shift with those, with those um, underlying changes. So I, I agree with you 100%. And I think that the blockchain revolution is going to eventually reach governance and along the lines of what I like to call a la carte democracy. So take so what we have now is a one size fits all thing where the majority picks out the, what the, what the total, what the all, what all, we're all going to eat for dinner, right? You, the, whoever wins the, the election, <clears throat> they decide and we're all kind of, uh, we're held hostage to it. But if you could, what we already alluded to, if you could pick out your own mix, your own basket of, of public goods and pay for only what you order, that would, it would definitely reduce some of the animosity that we people have between the parties and between the factions. 
And if you're not, if you don't have to abide, if you're not paying for the Republican or the Democratic basket, then you're not going to be as angry at them because that they, they want to do that. They want to have, you know, they want to have uh, spend that money on those war on those on those war tools, or they want to they want to build those uh, Christian schools, or the, or they want to do X, Y, and Z that healthcare plan, whatever. That's fine. That's them. It's not it's not forced on us. We're going to do our own. That that diffuses the the political bomb that I think is we're watching explode in our culture right now. So I'm I'm very optimistic that blockchain will eventually reach democracy and 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 undo mm-hmm. or remake but remake what we think of it yeah hey i i think we see um blockchain voting maybe in wyoming here in the next two or three years like no joke uh primary in wyoming you know there's not many people easy to test we're at a point in our country where there's it's extremely divided when it comes to is voting legitimate or not in the united states at least i know there's many other countries that's the case as well it's the perfect time. And uh, I think both political sides are, are, are for it. Uh, why no, why I didn't would you be against it? I didn't even think about that now that you mention it. But yeah, the, the big debate about voter fraud and whether or not our votes are being changed or hacked, this would just completely yep, nothing, deal with that. That's, that's not an issue. Nope. It's, a, it's a trustless, uh, complete ledger. It's, a, it, it's an uncorruptible ledger. So if you vote one way, that's what's going to be recorded correctly. I, uh, that, that's something to think about. Yeah. That diffuses that whole debate. I still would love to see, uh, I still would love to see a debate around changing the, the model and decent. We should decentralize the institutions in the same way the technology is decentralizing our needs. It, it doesn't make sense to be like, Hey, great. We found a way to use blockchain technology to keep you in a horse and carriage. Uh, it, it's like, <laughs> well, I, I mean, I mean, the, the funny thing is we're sitting here uh, talking about um, blockchain and cryptocurrency and how it affects markets. And shucks, I talk about this with my mother, who might have a better understanding than most legislators. Right. And and the idea is that this is a brand new technology. It's not a knock on most legislators. It's it's humanity. Mankind is at a point right now where a level up is happening with a with a technology that has beautiful, profound potential that other technologies never before had. Even greater than the printing press and, like you were saying, the loom and and other technologies of the past. This has the potential of affecting. Like you brought up in the beginning, Devin, so many, what's blockchain going to affect your life in so many different ways? This is more than just uh, money and, and uh, digital money in a new way to, to transact value. So for me, it's de- how are we going to decentralize the, the power structure that no longer makes sense? Why are those people making decisions far away when there are people closer in the community people more more nearby that have a better understanding of what's happening i think that this technology could allow for a decentralization of decision making on on a lot of levels yeah the uh, the specific knowledge to make the decisions absolutely guys it sounds like we're going to start uh, both a medical company and now uh, a government uh, you guys want to start a country together and <laughs> Lucas has a a little bit of uh, familial history in that. So maybe. Oh, that's hilarious and true. It is true. That is true. 
we'll go into that later on i guess yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well guys <laughs> that's, I, that's a long story <laughs> that's uh that's how we'll start out next next week yeah. um i i want to say I, I think this is a great discussion um you know we touched on ids uh, artists music uh shopping education medicine voting and government and how blockchain across the board is going to change all these things and how it will be very evident to you that these things are changing. You don't need to own Bitcoin today for this to be your reality in a year or, or two. Um, these, these are all things that are empowering for you, uh, that help you and make you a decision maker uh, and give you the power to yeah, control your own fate and control your family's fate and your community, and not as a single entity, but as a, as a unit, a, a harmonious unit. That's, that's the goal. That's the dream. And that's, that's, we're not far away from it. So I want to yeah. thank you guys. Appreciate you taking the time as always. Always have a blast with you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, bro. Thank you for your time. I know you're working hard. Uh, send, send my love to Peter. <laughs> yeah, I will. We'll, we'll send you guys a, a picture. I love cool. it. Looking Enjoy forward to it, brother. All right. Have a good one guys.